Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. We're so happy that you're here. Welcome to summertime. Um, Part of summer, you may know already, we're doing the Summer of Heroes, which means we're trying to make our videos quicker because it's summertime and focusing on heroes, 44 heroes throughout the entire summer with little lessons that you could almost do every single day with them. We'll kind of highlight them and focus on them in the video, give you a scripture and kind of a one-liner for each of them that might make it a really easy nightly study, you know, even on vacation makes it easy. Yeah. So easy. So you'll find in the videos, it's also on the app. Like the app will include the scripture, a little thought with each of them too. That might get, might make it really easy to have those all together. If you want together, <laughs> if you want any of this printout stuff for your house, you can go back to a previous video and kind of find out more how we're using it, or it's all just in the newsletter to print out there. Yep. And it's free. Everything yep. that you need is free. Um, some of you are asking about bracelets. So if you want to know about the Summer of Heroes bracelets, if you're looking for them for a youth group or your family or whatever you're doing, family reunion, um, those are back in stock right now. And so if you go back to the newsletter, you'll be able to find the link and they're shipping out June 6th. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, y'all. Timeline. We have two pieces and we're really excited about both of them. They're both kings. One of them I like better than the other one, just so you know. <laughs> you guys, we just got back from Israel. And I just want you to know, I legitimately said to Emily when we landed in America, and I meant it, I was like, I'm a nobody here. <laughs> because, you guys, he thought he was King David. And every time we were on David Street, we had to take his picture. The city of David took his picture. No matter guys, where we went. Listen, I'm going to do my... 23 and me or whatever it is and prove I'm a descendant of the king. I can't wait. Me too. Meanwhile, when we were at the Valley of Elah, David and Goliath, he turned into David. He ran through the field. Slung the rock like a champion. It was so awesome, you guys. Okay, first king, Saul. We'll get into these kings in just a second. And the second piece you're going to put on is this picture of... David in the valley. It's actually Jack, my son, Jack. He's the model for this one. So we particularly love that one. Okay. Those are two pieces, two of three Kings. So that we're kind of like transitioning into this new, um, what do you want to say? Just like, well, it's a system of government, but it's sort but it's just like, it kind of changes just the landscape of what's happening in the old Testament. You remember we're coming off of the book of judges, which ends with almost this feeling of chaos. The whole book gives you this whole feeling of chaos. And the reason is it tells you, remember in that book, everybody did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And that's what caused, you know, this sort of chaos. And then you have this two sweet stories right back to back. Ruth. You get Ruth, which is so sweet in there. And then you have um, Hannah and that little sweet story that I think it's really important that it's in there at the beginning of after judges, because you do get this feeling of like everything's so crazy and Mm. war and big scale and fighters and everything. And then you're brought back to remember that, oh, that we, this is, we also, we have the God of angel armies, 
But we also have the God who meets Hannah at the tent of the temple and mm-hmm. hears not Her just prayer. the cries of the house of Israel, but hears the individual mm-hmm. cries of, of, of a barren mother, you yeah, know, and, and remembers her. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's just, it's sweet that you get both those perspectives, but then you just enter into this new, um, new phase of the house of Israel and the kingdoms of Israel and everything. And it all starts with the story of, um, little Samuel, who we met last time a little bit because his mom was making him a coat. Yep. Once a year to take to him. Yep. And, and remember, she gives him to the Lord and for real life. Like she did, she doesn't just say the Lord can do whatever he wants with him, but she actually gives him to the Lord and he goes to the house of the prophet Eli and he is going to be raised up in that place. Okay. So let's just jump into our first hero, which is going to be Eli. Okay. And we're just going to start at the beginning of his story when Samuel moves in, when Hannah really gives Samuel to the Lord and Eli is going to raise him up. He's being raised up by this prophet. As you read through Eli's story, you are going to notice that he struggles toward the end of his life. But what we want to show from Eli as this hero is the importance of having a mentor as you learn to listen and respond to the voice of the Lord. That's our favorite part about Eli. So we're going to start in chapter three, which is from last week's reading, but we love the idea of just introducing you to Samuel all at once this week, and then going into one of our favorite stories about Samuel. And so um, what happens is in first Samuel chapter three, verse four, the Lord calls Samuel and he answers, here am I. And then he jumps up and runs into Eli and said, here am I because you're calling me. And Eli says, I didn't call you go back to bed and lie down again and go to sleep. And do you a little bit love that? It's it's kind of like when one of your little ones has a dream that Eli is like, <laughs> I did not say anything. Go back to bed. And then he's like, okay. And so but you do like at the very beginning, you get this like peek into the heart of Samuel that he is, kind of like always ready that like if Eli really did call him for help in In the middle middle of the the night, night, he was like, what do you need? What do you need? Yeah. So verse six, it happens again. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel and Samuel arose and he went into Eli and he said, here am I for you did call me. And he answered and said, I called not my son lie down again. And then we love this in verse seven. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed in him that he wasn't trained in how to respond or how to receive revelation. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, here am I for you did call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore, Eli said unto Samuel, go lie down and it shall be if he call thee that thou shalt say, speak Lord for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place and the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, speak for thy servant heareth. And there are so many things that we love about just this tiny story that we learn from Eli. One of the most important things we love is that um, when we don't yet know how to hear the voice of the Lord, that we can find mentors 
who will say to us, here, try this, do it this way. And we will find those mentors might be people in our own home or people who we love that we think, oh, I love how he listens to the spirit or how she responds to the spirit. It it feels like she's in regular communication with what the spirit is saying. But I love that the scriptures also will teach us how to listen to and respond to the spirit. And almost like you have all these other mentors too. Like yeah. people looking for a mentor. Yeah, and you're like, just like, oh, you have story like, after story after story. Alma, what about this person? What did you love about how each of these people leaned into learning how to talk to the spirit and respond to revelation? And there, it's like we have a whole manual right here. And before you jump into that, there's something I just noticed as we were reading this just right now at the end of eight, when it says, and Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child, that even Eli, the mentor, who's going to teach him how is still like um, practicing this yes. art of listening, like that he perceives. And, and I thought when you read that, I was like, oh, because maybe up to this point, he's never thought that the Lord would speak to a child mm-hmm. before. And then all of a sudden he's like learning something new about him. And he's like, wait a second. I, and it took him three yeah. times, you know, and it was the middle of the night. So like, you know, it took him three for him to just be, Oh my gosh, wait a second. I recognize this. I yeah. see what's happening here. Yeah. And then training, um, that young boy to learn how to listen and receive revelation himself. And I think that's so important. That is one of the things that I love about Eli is he didn't do this. He didn't say it's actually, it's my job to talk to the Lord and I will receive revelation for you. And you don't need to worry, you know, that how many times as a parent, do we do that? Mm. Where we're like, all, I know how to get the revelation. I will get the revelation for you. And I love that Eli doesn't think to himself, he's too little to get the revelation or to respond to revelation. But right at that very young age was like, let me start teaching you how to hear the Lord mm. and how to respond. And so For this first hero, something you might want to do with your family is we just put a whole bunch of scriptures right here and actually even a talk that just talk about some of the ways that we can learn to hear him, um, what we're going to learn from Eli. And you'll notice in these five, as you go through and read, but they're just simple suggestions. Um, One is in verse one, to make sure you're not past feeling. That's what we learned from Nephi. Um, in John 10, we learn to follow him, to actually be prepared to listen and then respond. Um, in first Kings, we learn the importance of being still making time for still moments to be able to hear him in doctrine and covenant six. Um, I love this thought of he, he will speak to you in every thought if you are open to that and being open to listening all the time. And then this one that we love in 1 Samuel 3, 9 and 10, when um, Eli tells Samuel to say, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth and to actually hear him and what we would learn from that. So those are some ideas as you were studying Eli as your first hero that you might want to lean into and think about. And how do we mentor people? That's what we love about him. But also, how do we learn to hear him? And anybody who's in that process, which is everybody (laughs) who's in that process of learning to perceive and learning to hear the voice of the Lord, I think two things are really important. One, that the Lord kept coming back 
you know, that he kept speaking to him, that he just like, that he was so, that the Lord was mentoring him through it also, mm. that he kept coming back to him, back to him, you know, and waited for him to learn. And that verse that you pointed out already, verse seven, we have the, in, in the journal there, in the meantime, that box and the word I love so much from verse seven is yet, you know, he did not yet know the Lord and that's okay. Like he did not yet know how to recognize his voice. He was not trained in that. He had never heard it before. And that was totally okay. Yeah. It didn't disqualify him. Right. And, and sometimes maybe we think that, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever received revelation. I don't know what the spirit feels like. And the beauty is that's not a disqualifier. Yeah. There's a lot of hope in the word yet. I do not yet know how to do that. I have not yet heard his voice. What well, that just means yet just means anything is possible mm -hmm. is what the word yet means. And, and he does Samuel learns to listen to the voice of the Lord. And that line is almost like the line of his life where he says, thy servant heareth. And the thing that you will find that Samuel, you'll see his story as a story of success. And you'll see other people's as a story that you might call failures. And I think the reason you will see Samuel as a story of success is because of that servant's heart that he has, that he always remains a servant of the Lord. He's like, okay, speak. Here am I. You're, I. I am ready to hear whatever it is that you want to say. And the Lord will be able to use Samuel. And he, and he gets raised up as someone who hears and perceives the voice of the Lord. He's also almost another, the last of the judges. You mm -hmm. know, he becomes a military leader, a yes. leader of all the people. And there's this battle that he leads Israel into that is one of our favorite parts of Samuel. And it's in 1 Samuel chapter 7. And we're moving to our second hero now. Yeah. This is going to be Samuel. Samuel, our second hero. On. And there's this battle that fights. And there's others that happen. But this one in particular, we're just really interested in. And it's this fight against um, one of their enemies and uh, the Philistines again. They're back. And, um, <laughs> and remember you, you get this almost that cycle again, where Samuel calls upon the people to put away in verse three, put away the strange gods and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. And it's awesome that there there's that again, like he's trying to teach him to serve. And, and so they did, and, and he prayed and they gathered together and they, and they fasted and they poured out their offerings to the Lord and they turned back to him to serve him. And when they were all gathered together, they, they, the Philistines were like, we are coming to fight you. And in verse eight, the children of Israel said unto Samuel, cease not to cry unto the Lord, our God for us, that he will save us out of the hands of the Philistines, which he did. They fight and they win that battle and the Philistines are defeated. But then Samuel does something after that battle that is really um, powerful. And it's in verse 12, chapter 7, verse 12. It says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen. That's the spot where the battle happened. And he called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And you want to click on that word or go down to your footnotes to see that word Ebenezer means the stone of help. It's translated right there where it's like, hitherto hath the Lord um, helped us. So what he does is something that we've seen happen in the Old Testament. Um, the one that comes to mind right away is... Um, the is when they cross the Jordan River and you remember mm -hmm. Joshua has everybody bring stones with them. This is something that the children of Israel are really good at. And it's something that I, that I think it is what 
it's one of the most powerful parts of their society, mm-hmm. even until today, to their yeah. culture, even until today, is this idea of raising an Ebenezer. What he did is he went to that spot where the Lord helped them and he raised up this little stone tower or whatever that was, took that stone. And he said, I'm raising this Ebenezer as a reminder that this is the place where the Lord helped us. This is where he came into our stories and where he made a difference. And it's so easy, as you can see from that cycle, to forget that, to turn to other gods, to turn to other sources of help. And there's something about the fact that he like physically um, God raises an Ebenezer. He doesn't just remember it in his mind, but he participates almost in this um, ceremony, uh, like like a ritual of sort that would just be like, this is going to be a physical reminder, you might say an outward expression of an inner belief or a commitment, right? And and just almost sets a pattern for them that they'll continue to follow. Just like when you see um, God's hand, when you see his help in your life, what are you doing to like, to remember that? What are you doing to have a, a, a consistent, like to focus your, your mind and your memories on what God has done. And that is such a, it's such a powerful principle to raise an Ebenezer. And I think it's important for us to think about in our lives, in our homes, in our families, what are our Ebenezers? What are those things that will remind us of something that is an inward belief for us? That maybe you have a picture of the temple. Maybe you have a picture of um, the Savior. Um, it's fun. I just, as I was watching you talk, I noticed we both, when we were at the um, Western Wall, got these scarlet threads to remind us of that experience of bringing in the Sabbath on that Sabbath Eve and, and just a reminder of that joy and that celebration that we're about to keep and remember him on the Sabbath. And what are your little reminders? What are the things that is that outward expression, your, your Ebenezer that you have, um, even these summer of hero bracelets, right? That we're trying to remember that we want to have valor all summer long. And it might be a fun conversation to have with your kids, with your family. What are your Ebenezers? And it's interesting because we do live in a world that is pushing back against that kind of thing. And almost, almost as if to say any sort of like um, physical outward expression is, is not as important as like what you actually believe on the inside, you know, and, and that might be true, right? The physical outward expressions by themselves uh, don't have any power, Mm -hmm. right? They don't have any, like it's the rock didn't actually help them. Right. Um, but they, Samuel uses these outward expressions as a way to connect him to the Lord, which is actually the definition of the word religion, right? That word religion comes from a word that means to connect, right? To connect to God, that there's things that we do religiously, Mm -hmm. you know, or in patterns or whatever as a means to connect us um, to him mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, you know, and so. So maybe Samuel will remind you to raise up your Ebenezer, whatever it is this week. And maybe you'll take time to talk with the people you study with and just think, what, what is your Ebenezer or your Ebenezer's 
right now um, something fun to do with him. Okay, now we're gonna start the next part, which is this interesting thing that happens in chapter eight. In the journal, if you're using a journal, it says chapter seven, verse five, but you really wanna dive into chapter eight. I was tricking you, you. It's <laughs> actually. <laughs> and what happens is the children of Israel actually say, we want to be like everyone else. Sometimes we think that in our mind, but we don't actually say it out loud. Um, here they're like, we want to be like everyone around us. We want a king. And the which, Lord, which is opposite of what he called them to be. So it's yes. like at first it's kind of like, oh, it's no big deal. That's fine. Like sometimes that's not, you know, to be like everybody else is fine. Right. But in this case, it's just like a direct like opposite response of he was like, I called you to be peculiar. peculiar and different to influence the rest. I wanted you to influence the rest of those nations, not let those nations influence you. Yeah. And, but they really want to have this king they talk about. And um, it's in verse five where they say, behold, you are old and your sons walk not in thy ways. So make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. That's what we want. And so, Samuel is going to invest now in trying to figure out, okay, what would this actually look like? And it's so interesting because he goes through and he says to them, I don't think you really want a king, right? The, they lay out the possibility. He lays out the problem. And then there is this moment of this prayer for Israel before Samuel turns over to find this king. The possibility is what you read in verse five that we just want to be like everybody else. That's that's what we're hoping for. And then he lays out for them in verses 11 through 20 of, is this what you really want? Because this is what's going to happen. If you, if you have a king, this will be the manner of the king that will rule over you. He will take your sons and he will appoint them for himself to run his chariots and be his horsemen. And some will actually run before his chariots and he will appoint captains, and they will take all your harvest and he will take your daughters to be his confectionaries and to be his cooks and to be his bakers. And he's going to take your best fields, he tells them, your best vineyards, whatever the king wants, he gets to take and he will use it for himself, for his um, joy and what he wants from that. You're going to be his servants, he tells them in verse 17. And then in verse 18, he says, and then. When you cry out in the Lord and say, we actually in that day and say to the Lord, we actually did not want a king anymore. The Lord is not going to hear you. He tells them and the people say we in verse 20, we want to be like all the other nations. We want our king to judge us. We want him to go out before us and we want him to fight our battles. Now, it's super interesting because we were talking about this right before we started recording that because um, they're going to also give him 10% of everything that they earn. And as we were thinking about it, we're like, it's so funny because in actuality, what they're doing is just replacing God. We want to give our 10% to someone else, the king. We want to give our sons and daughters, not to someone who can grow them up and raise them up to build the kingdom, but to take care of the king's palace. We want to give them to him instead. And we want him to judge us. Isn't that so interesting? Mm. Because that was God's job. And we want him to go out before us. And you remember when they were in the wilderness and the Lord was like, I will go out before you 
and I will be your rear guard. And they were like, we actually want a king to do that now. And this was the most interesting to me and fight our battles. Mm. We want our king to fight our battles for us. And why don't they want God yeah. to fight their battles for them? It's just such an interesting change of thought process. And as they go through that, um, it tells us Samuel heard all the words of the people and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. Can you imagine that prayer where he's <laughs> like, um, they actually don't want to give 10% to you anymore. They want to give it to a king. And they actually don't need your help fighting their battles anymore because they want a king to do that for them. Like what an interesting prayer. What an interesting conversation to be like. They've actually chosen to replace you. And at the bottom of my scriptures, I just wrote down, who is your king? Like who is the person that you are allowing to run your life or what is the thing which is probably more common that you are allowing to run your life i remember teaching this to a 16 18 year old sunday school class and we went through this whole thing and then i said to them at the very end what is the thing that is taking the most of your time what are you spending the most of your money on um what are you what are your thoughts consumed with like what is that thing that is your king. And I'll never forget a boy came up after and he was like, um, okay, you like just turn my world upside down because I think my king is football. Mm. And what should I do about that? And I said to him, oh, I'm not in charge of that for you. But I bet if you ask the Lord, he will tell you what to do. And it was so cute because he really did. That boy went home. He prayed about it for two weeks came back and he was 18 and said, I, I'm changing my whole life around. I am putting football on hold and I'm starting my mission papers because I want to make sure God knows he is my king mm. and everything mm. else will fall into place after that. And I love that thought of just really taking the time to say, who is your king? And um, answering that question, but then we get to go into this place where Samuel really is going to start looking for a king and we are going to meet Saul, who is our third hero. And let's just say for a second, sorry, I, sh I just have like, like processing this, that I think it's important to say everybody has a king, like everybody chooses someone to be their mm -hmm. king, right? There is somewhere you're giving your time. Yeah. There is someone you're giving your money to, like always, like yeah. that. For sure, like the king spot is filled in everybody's life. And the question really is, who is it? And maybe the other question is, but and who do you want it to be? Yeah. You know, but that's just so, that's such a, because you know, you might have someone's yeah. like, well, I don't have one. I don't, I don't like want anyone telling me what to do. And it's like, that's actually not true. <laughs> Somebody is. Yeah, someone, someone is. Someone has your attention. Someone's influencing and you. you know someone's picking so your paint color. Because someone's, it could be football. But in our time, it could be social media. 100%. Right. Which is so I mean, to say that we're, I mean, like there are professions called influencers. That's their job. Yeah. Like that's what they do, right? Is yeah. That is someone's telling you what to do. Like you're looking to someone for advice. You're looking to someone to figure out how to fit in yeah. always. And so the question is, who, who is who's it, it going to be? I remember my yeah. bishop saying one time, we are a hundred percent obedient 
100% of the time. The question is to whom, Ooh, right? To whom are so we good. obedient? Like you're gonna listen to someone and it could be you, right? Like you mm-hmm. could put, be your own king, mm-hmm. right? And there's scripture about that, becoming a God, a king unto yourself. And so I, I, that's just, it's really, really important, I think, to know yeah. that you have one. Who is it and and who do you want it to be? Yeah, that's so good. Um, so Samuel's going to go out and find this king. So hero number three is going to be, we are going to meet Saul. And you love the beginning of this story. So you tell the beginning. Uh, yeah. The lost the lost donkey. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I like it so much. I just think it's cute. Um, but the beginning of 1 Samuel 9, you meet him. And, and this is going to be interesting because we'll compare him to David in a second. But Saul is exactly the king that you wanted to pick. In verse two, choice, goodly. Um, He was taller than everybody else. He was just a a member of like a prestigious family. Like he just was, you just kind of thought this is the guy that you for sure on paper, easy candidate um, to pick. Um, And one day in verse three, his dad's donkeys get lost. And so he just, it's just cute. Like he just goes out looking for them. And it's so funny because this is going to end up with him encountering Samuel, the prophet. But it just is interesting that how it happens, that it happens with lost donkeys. And he'll go here and here and here and here, going to all the cities to look for him. And he can't find him. And finally, he finds himself in this city. Well, and you love that he goes on purpose to find the seer. That's what he says. There there is a seer here. (laughs) Maybe he can help me find the donkeys. donkeys. Yeah. And I just think that's really, really interesting. Like sometimes, don't you want to just... You know, when you, you stumble upon an answer to prayer or you stumble upon like a life-changing event and, and, and it came because you lost your donkeys, like something happened that like brought you into relationship with somebody holy, with somebody influential. And it's just, it's cool to look back on life and see those times when you lost your donkey and what it led to. Yes. And you love that um, the Lord tells Samuel in his ear the day before Saul is going to come, that he says this, tomorrow about this time, I'm going to send a man out of the land of Benjamin and you are going to anoint him to be the king. And so in verse 17, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, this is the man I was talking to you about and he's going to reign over my people. And Saul drew near to Samuel at the gate and said, can you tell me where the seer's house is? That's who I'm looking for. And Samuel said, I am the seer. You go up before me and you're going to eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go. And I will tell you everything that is in your heart. And can you imagine if you're Saul and you're like, no, actually I have business for you. Like (laughs) you're not in charge of what's happening right now. I came to find some donkeys, you know, that, that like in his mind, he's got to be like, and how does he even know what's in my heart? You know? And, um, Then I love that he says, just as an afterthought, oh, and as for your asses that were lost three days ago, uh, don't don't, say not your mind on them. Don't worry about those anymore. Um, They're found already. And um, I love this thought that he comes with an agenda. Yeah. And then it's not at all the Lord's agenda that the prophet is like, I actually, you're, you think you're here to find donkeys, but tomorrow... I'm going to tell you why you're actually here. And it's so interesting to see how the Lord works like that. And so Saul says to him, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And is not my family the least of all the families in my whole tribe? 
So why are you paying attention to me? Which I love the thought of that, where he's like, I like if my donkeys are found, I should just go home and take care of the donkeys. Why would you want to invest in me more? Which when you watch like almost the character study that whoever writes Samuel does, you're just yeah. almost like, oh, Saul, don't ever grow out of that. Yes. Don't ever let go of it because he is handsome and tall yes. and like, and like a super good kid and stuff. And, and, and yet he still has that humility yes. where he's like, and you're like, Oh dude, I'm please don't ever, ever lose that. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because he does. He says to him, why are you speaking like this to me? Yeah. And also Samuel puts him to sit at the cheapest place in his house. And Saul is like, uncomfy. Uh, I don't need yeah. to, to be here. Um, and then I love, um, when they finally come down, um, in verse 25, when they were come down from the high place under the city, Samuel communed with Saul upon the top of the house and they arose early and it came to pass about the spring of the day, which is one of our favorite lines. Don't you love the thought of the spring of the day, the new beginning of the day that this is going to happen in that time when such good revelation often comes that Samuel called Saul up to the top of his house and said, "Up, oh, I'm sending you home now. And Saul arose and they both went out, both of them, he and Samuel. And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell all your servants to pass on before us. And they passed on. But he said to him, stand thou still a while so I can show you the words of God. And this is what I love from this chapter. I'm in first Samuel nine right now. Um, I would, the spring of the day is going to be in verse 26. And then in 27, he tells him to stand still. And I think there's an important lesson here. How often are we utilizing the spring of the day? How often in mm. those first moments are we standing still mm. to hear what the Lord wants to tell us and, and letting everyone else pass on and everything else go in front of us. And we're just taking that little moment at the spring of the day to be still and listen. And the conversation, I love the conversation that happens. It's in verse 10. And um, Samuel starts telling Saul what he's going to do. And, and he says to him in verse six, and the spirit of the Lord will come upon you. Oh, in chapter 10? Yeah, I'm in chapter okay. 10 now, verse six. Um, and you shall be turned into another man, he tells him. That's the first thing that this working of the spirit at the spring of the day is going to do for Saul. It's going to turn him into another man. And then in verse seven, it says, or just a reminder when the signs come or when you have occasion to serve, just remember God is with you. That's number two. Remember God is with you. And then I love in, th in verse eight, it's this number three thing that I love. I will come to you and I will show you what to do. So I love this thought of like, if you're willing and you're open, just like God sent Eli to Samuel, God will send Samuel to Saul to help mentor him and tutor him. And then in verse nine, I love when it says, when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And that becomes the beginning of Saul's service is he's going to be changed into another man and God will be with him and the prophet will come and mentor him and tell him what to do. And, and he will be given this new heart to become the king of these people. And 
um, we'll just say quick, because that's what that's what we're going to learn from Saul. That's what we want you to remember from Saul is just to stand still in the spring of the day. That is what is going to make you into that hero that Saul was for so long until the very end. And then we're going to see the downfall of Saul. And in the journals, you're going to see in 1 Samuel 13, 11 through 14 and 1 Samuel 15, you're going to start seeing that downfall. And what happens is instead of those four things we just learned about, he's going to do foolishly. He decides not to obey. He fears the people more than God. And he eventually will reject the word of the Lord. And as that happens, um, it's exactly what Samuel prophesied was going to happen, that there becomes a downfall of the people and God will have to raise up a new king, everybody. Someone's about to be so excited about hero number four. Um, I was just thinking too about Saul though, that even the king has a king, mm-hmm. right? That it's like in the beginning, it was standing still and listening for the voice of, of God. But then in that chapter 15, his king became the people. Yeah, And he was like, I, he even says, I was afraid. I was afraid of what the people would think. You know, and that kind of becomes, he starts to, it's almost, yeah, yeah, Yeah. lose that. And then he loses the kingdom because of it. Right. So um, this happens and the Lord, you know, and uh, speaks with Samuel and says, this is not a king fit to to rule anymore. Like he is now on a path that he's not going to ever leave. You know, he's going to keep being interested in what people think, and it's going to lead the whole kingdom that way if we're not careful. So we need to pick another king. And so he does. In chapter 16, he goes to anoint secretly another king. Like this is this little fun stuff happening. And they go to the city of Bethlehem and they meet a man, find a man named Jesse. And, and Samuel says, can I meet all your sons? And so he meets all of his sons in the beginning of 16 and, and goes through all of them and, and, and nothing. He didn't, you know, there was, the Lord didn't point out any of them to Samuel. And so he says, do you have any other kids? And in verse seven, he says, says um, uh, or he says before that, he says, yeah, I do. I have this, you know, this other little kid um, because Samuel's like looking at everyone. Verse seven, the, I forgot why I was going there. Verse seven, he's looking at everybody and the Lord actually teaches Samuel. And he says, because he sees one of the older brothers and he's like, that's the king, you know, probably reminds him of Saul a little bit taller, you know, stronger one. And the Lord says in 17, don't look on his countenance or at the height of his stature, but the Lord seeth not as a man seeth for you look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And that's when he says, okay, it's not him, it's not him, it's not him. Do you have any other kids? And he says, yeah, well, I do have this one. It's a runt, you know, he's the, the he keeps the sheep, you know? Um, and he says, well, I want to, I want to meet him. And he comes from the fields. His name is David. Like if you don't know, um, and he was ruddy, just red cheek, cute little kid with a beautiful countenance, goodly to look to. I mean, there's so much that has passed down through time and he says, the Lord says in verse 12, arise and anoint him for this is he. Um, opposite of what he thought he would be. And he anoints him there. Uh, this is kind of interesting. That word anoint means to set apart or to choose. The Greek word is to anoint someone is Christos, um, to have to set someone apart for a certain mission or for a certain purpose. And David is anointed there in Bethlehem for this 
um, certain purpose. And, and then you kind of start to begin to figure out what that purpose is when you get into chapter 17, which is one of the most famous stories of David, right? At the beginning of his life. It's a battle that's happening in a valley called Elah. You can go there. It's right next to a road and you can run in the fields if you want someday. Just like David, you should show your picture on there. <laughs> then in chapter 17 is where we're going to focus on our last hero, our fourth hero, which is David. Okay. This is a battle that's fought in a valley called Elah. Um, it's not very far from where Jerusalem is. And what you want to know about this particular valley is um, because of how like the mountain ranges are in that area, you had to go through these valleys in order to get to the capital city in order to get to Jerusalem, right? And so you would put your armies or encampments in those valleys because people could, they had to come right through them. And Elah is right there before you get into the heartland. If this falls, then the whole nation falls to the Philistines. So you just want to keep in mind that this is a last stand battle. Like everything hangs in the balance in this particular battle. And they're going to engage in a warfare that was, um, that happened in ancient times sometimes where both sides would choose someone that's called the champion of the camp. And this was a, this was a one-on-one fight between these two champions of the camp, winner take all. Whoever wins, the opposing army becomes the slaves and subjects to, to that. So it's just going to be a one-on-one. In the Philistines, you may remember, pick this man whose name is Goliath. And it gives you the description of him, which is so rad in 17. He's nine foot nine inches. Some Bible scholars think his armor that he's wearing weighs 125 pounds. One Bible scholar I said, I saw put and added up even like then his shin guards and like the belt that he's wearing and, and the beam that he's holding and, and, and all those things together and said, could possibly be 500 pounds of armor that this guy has on in all and carrying. He has a shield man who is, cause he's so, (laughs) the shield's so big, he has to hire a guy to hold the shield. And you just wish you could bring that guy to take your dad to work there or whatever, but he's holding the shield and he is for 40 days taunting the children of Israel calling out for somebody else to come fight him. And they are shaking in their boots. They're hiding in the, the gullies and in the, in the, in their mountainside, just like nobody wants to go and fight him because for sure it's a guaranteed loss, right? Like you look at it and you're like, there's no way that anybody could ever beat him. So who's actually going to go and just die? Cause that's what it is. They're going to pick. And so for 40 days, they shake in their boots and, and David, little David comes to the battle. His dad sends him with the cheese. It says, and to go find out what's happening, give me a report on the battle. And he shows up and he gets there and hears Goliath like yelling and at the children of Israel taunting them and their God. And, and David is like, so bothered by it. And he's like, wait a second. You, you know, can't you see him? Just like, you can't say that. And like just walking out into the field, like, and he just goes out there and he starts like, kind of like making a, a scene or whatever. And his brother comes and he's like, David, what are you doing here? You, you snuck, you just wanted to sneak into a battle so you could watch what's happening here. It's like a little kid sneaking into a bad movie or something. And he's you like, love when he talks about his naughtiness, he's yeah, you're, so mad. You're so naughty. You're so bad. And then he just, and, and he actually answers back with one of my favorite verses when he says to him, his brother's getting mad at him. This is in verse 28. Why'd you come? And you left the sheep in the wilderness. I know your pride and your naughtiness. You came just because you want to see the battle. And David answers back in verse 29 and says, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Or in other words, he's asking, wait, stop. 
you're wrong about those. I'm listening to what this person is saying against us, against our people, against our God. And what I'm saying to you is, is, is this what we have not worth standing up for? Is there not a cause that we have that's worth fighting for? Are our people and our God and our religion and our beliefs, are they not something that is worth defending? Is there not a cause that we have here, something to fight for, something to believe in? And that, that's kind of the question that like propels David forward into this battle. And I love too, um, and we have this written at the bottom of the journal, when everyone else saw Goliath, David saw God. That, that's what he saw and, and it is what gave him courage. So he goes in and says to Saul, Listen, let no man's heart fail them because I will go and fight with the Philistine, which I think Saul probably was like, you're 11, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we don't know how old he was, or maybe we do, but I don't know how old he was, but I love that. He's just like, you cannot go against this Philistine. It starts with a, don't worry. Don't let your heart fail you. It's like, don't worry. I will fight. <laughs> yes, and Saul's like, you can't go. You brought the cheese. Yeah, you're just, but a youth, he tells him in verse 33. And David says to Saul, I kept my father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Your servant slew both the lion and and the bear. So why would I not be able to uh, slay this uncircumcised Philistine? Because he's defying the armies of the living God. He's not even going after sheep. He's going after God's people. And if God cares about sheep in a field, why would he not care about About all of these people. people here? And then I love when he says this, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And so Saul just says to him, it must have been a really great speech because Saul says to him, okay, go and the Lord be with you. That's what he tells him. And I love the thought of this first, before we get any farther into this story is there were battles David had fought previously, Uh, his own private victories that had happened that gave him the courage to be able to enter into this really public setting that was going to cost him something. Mm. And um, because he had won the private battles before, he was prepared. And it makes me want to think, what are the lions and the bears in my life that I have already fought and won that are going to prepare me for what is ahead of me? right now? What is the next thing ahead of me? And are we good at looking back at the times where the Lord has been with us before that we have overcome that hard thing that will enable us to be able to do the next hard thing? So I love which is again, a reason to raise an Ebenezer, right? When they happen so that they become these anchoring memories. They become these like things that we just like, I, I know this is a time that the Lord was our help. Yes. You know, um, so Saul arms, he takes Saul with him and he arms him with his armor, with Saul's armor. He like dresses him all up in what Saul would normally wear, which we know from Samuel, he's not tall. 
He's not big, right? Can you just imagine him dressed up in all of that armor? <laughs> he puts his brass upon his head and he arms him with a coat of mail. And David took Saul's sword upon his armor and he got ready to go. And then um, he said to um, Saul, I cannot, I can't go with these. I can't wear this because I haven't proved this. He told him, and if I'm going to go into battle, I have to go in, in what I practiced and what I know. And that also makes me want to stop and think, okay, where are the areas I'm confident that I've actually proved the Lord here before? What do those look like? And so David took his staff in his hand and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script and his sling was in his hand and he got ready to go to the Philistine. And I love, um, when you go to that Valley of Elah, you wish you had this right now. Don't throw this in my house. <laughs> and you guys, I got really good at this. I just want and, you to know. <laughs> um, if you were to walk through that stream in the Valley of Elah, that dried up, um, it's just dried riverbed. But I, as I walked through, I looked at these stones and thought to myself, this is probably what he picked up. This was probably what he held in his hand and he got his five stones that he had proved before. And it made me think as we were standing there in that valley, what are your five stones? If you were to go into battle today, what is your Goliath? What is that thing that you need to overcome right now? What, what is the thing standing in front of you, taunting you? What is that thing? And what are the five stones you have proved before that are going to help you go up against your Goliath, whatever it is? And I love the thought of thinking, maybe it's priesthood blessings. Maybe it's the power of prayer. Maybe it's, um, a mentor or someone you would take with you, but maybe it's the temple. Maybe it's your covenants. Um, what is it that becomes your five stones? And the I, things you've proved, right? I love that, that he proved. said that I haven't yeah. proved this, you know, but I have proved these. Yes. And isn't it cool that they're smooth? Yes. You know, that almost like, you know, like when, when we were there, you go to these really old churches and the staircases that have had people kneel and walk on them have been smoothed out, you know, just from continual use, yeah. you know, and it's like, there's something about that, that he's like, I've used these again and again and again. Yes. And, and they've worked, them. right. I know it's going to work. And I love that the Philistine looks out and he sees David and he's a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine says to him, am I a dog um, that this is what you've chosen to send to me? <laughs> Don't and you want David to answer? Like, I feel like you could make a really funny movie scene there. He's like, am I a dog? And he's like, well, no, you're a <laughs> yes. giant. <laughs> Yes. And then you love this, that David just walks up to him and you just wish you could have watched this scene because who loves this speech he's going to give him right now when he says to him, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. 
and I will smite you and I will take your head from you and I will give the carcass to the host of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the earth that they all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with a sword and a spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. And I love that it says this in verse 48, it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Who loves that he just like, um, you Books want it. the soundtrack to start right there. <laughs> you just want to see that slow motion as David just starts running across that field toward the Philistine. Like he doesn't even pause. He is just all in, in that moment. And David put his hand in his bag and he took thence a stone and he slung it. Um, and I love sometimes when you teach this, you say the first of five stones, right? It, that is how much faith David had in what he was meant to do and in the cause that was his and in the Lord. And he smote the Philistine. It says in verse 51, um, uh, well, it, it tells us, I better read this part, that the stone sunk into his forehead in 49 and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over a Philistine with a sling and with a stone. And he smote the Philistine and slew him. Therefore, David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And then you love this part. This is my favorite part of this whole story because it tells us he took the head and he gave it to the king and they took it to Jerusalem. And then there is this one line in verse 54 that we seldom read. It says, but he put his armor in his tent. I love that he goes back into the middle of that field and he pulls that armor off of Goliath, all however many pounds it was. And he drags it into his tent and he just sets it up there in the corner. And I imagine that he lays down in his bed at night and says, you know what? Once, once I killed a lion and once I killed a bear and once I killed that guy too. <laughs> and this becomes now his anchor points, his moments that he's like, this is what I, this is where I have proved the Lord. Yeah. And he showed up in the face of the lion and he showed up in the face of the bear and he showed up on the day that I stood against the champion of the camp. And I, we just love that. It's this whole lesson has these raising up of these Ebenezer yeah. moments yeah. and how important that becomes. Yeah. And we should talk about this. Oh. If you're doing the tip-ins, um, there is a tip-in for today that does have this picture of David and Goliath. And it just has that line that you love so much. Is there not a cause? Um, and the Lord will deliver, which is so good. Yeah. And that's kind of our, our line. Oh, it's over here for him. Is, is there not a cause or what is, is your cause? And every time I read this story, it just makes me think of another Ebenezer that I raise in my own house, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's reminders of, cause there's something about this story where it, it gives a window. David's life gives a window into the life of Jesus. And there's so many similarities. A boy from Bethlehem, anointed, sent by his father to, a, to the front lines of the battle, a battle where everything hung in the balance, where everything mattered in this particular battle. And this um, unassuming, like you wouldn't have picked him. Remember the scriptures say Jesus was like nothing mm -hmm. special to look at. Walks into this battlefield 
as a champion of the camp. Remember, a champion of the camp is someone who fights for and in behalf of everyone else. And it's exactly what Jesus did. He fought as our champion in the camp for and behalf of all of us. And, and he won the victory and he won it in, in, a, in an unexpected way. And he won that for us. And so whatever our battles or our Goliaths temporarily may look at, we can always look to that victory of, of Jesus over our enemies, mm-hmm. like the battles, the Lord's. And it's already been won and it's already happened. And, and Goli- our Goliaths have been defeated. They, they don't own us right? They, they're, they're dead. They have no resurrection power either. They're, they're gone. And there's something about this that we can always remember that our champion, Jesus fought the battle for and behalf of us. And, and, and he won and he won and we can carry that into our, into our smaller battles, right? We can carry it in and say, Hey, what, whatever scars I come away with this with, whatever, opposition may come up like in the end the greatest battle has um already been won and that can give us strength and encouragement and courage you know in in facing our own so y'all these are these heroes they are some of your your best we said that last week we'll say it next week but so So awesome okay we'll see you next week this audio was taken from a youtube video from our youtube channel You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.